we all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold let's talk finance wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot yahoo finance does just that it consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis making it easier to manage your investments Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. The record setting march on Wall Street continues with the Dow Jones, I guess, hitting a new mini milestone today for the first time ever, trading above 23,000. Didn't quite close above 23,000. The high was 23,002, spot two. We closed at 22,997.44, still a record close for the Dow. S&P also at a record. Obviously, none of the people trading stocks believes that John Taylor is going to be the next Fed chairman. You know, yesterday there were some reports that began to circulate that Donald Trump had a, had a favorable meeting uh, with Taylor, that he was impressed with him. And so that immediately caused a sell-off in gold. I think gold dropped about 10 bucks or so on that news because, of course, John Taylor, he is famous for the Taylor Rule, which is really uh, having monetary policy or interest rates set by a specific formula uh, that obviously would have interest rates considerably higher than they are today. In fact, had we been using the Taylor Rule all along, rates would have been a lot higher many, many years ago. In fact, they never would have gotten to the levels they got to. And so clearly, we would have been better off had we been following the Taylor rule all along rather than the Greenspan, Bernanke, or Yellen rules, whatever those rules may be. It's basically uh, do whatever you can, do whatever it takes, keep rates as low as you have to for as long as you have to to keep the air in the bubbles and to prop everything up. 
Uh, so had we been using the Taylor rule, uh, we would be in much better shape. But obviously, if John Taylor were to be the next Fed chairman, and if he were to live by his own rule, one of the biggest casualties would be the stock market, which is one of the reasons that I don't believe that he is likely to be the next Fed chairman, because Donald Trump has made it quite clear that, A, he wants interest rates to stay low, and so Taylor wouldn't be your guy if you want to keep interest rates low, and B, he has staked his presidency on the stock market. He is the biggest cheerleader of the stock market, the first one to point out when it's at a new record and to take credit for it. So the last thing that he would want would be a Fed chairman that would, you know, that would pursue a monetary policy that would knock the legs out from under this market. So I think the gold market is overestimating the potential that John Taylor will, in fact, get the nod as Fed chairman. In fact, the only way he would be Fed chairman, he would have to pretty much assure Donald Trump that that Taylor rule is not going to be uh, guiding his decisions on interest rates. Now, I doubt that Taylor would have this rule and abandon it at the first chance he had to actually put it into effect. So, again, I don't think that he is the guy, but for whatever reasons, the dollar rallied on it, gold sold off on it, but the stock market completely ignored it. In fact, today we got some more news that the stock market ignored, uh, but the gold market sold off on again. I don't know, maybe about another 10 bucks or so down uh, as a result of this. And this was the hotter than expected news on prices, right, on inflation. We got the import-export prices. Import prices were supposed to be up 05 which in and of itself is a pretty big jump in one month, uh, but they were up 07 Export prices even worse, although we would want our export prices to go up, right? Because that means we're getting more for what we export. So that helps our trade deficit, helps lower it anyway. But export prices were supposed to rise by 0.4, and instead they rose by 0.8, which is double the expectation. Year over year, import prices up 2.7%. Now, as of last month, the year over year rise was just 2.1%. So that's a pretty big jump in the year-over-year -year gain. Export prices up 2.9% year-over-year. I mean, you average these out, you got 2.8% as the average uh, increase in one year of the price of the stuff we import and export, which is pretty much a lot of different stuff, right? And so that's a pretty broad-based increase in prices well above the supposed 2% uh, level that the Fed is looking for. Of course, they're looking for consumer prices, measured by the CPI, but obviously, you know, import and export prices, these are all things that consumers consume. And, you know, I would think that these numbers are going to be more accurate than the CPI because there's less subjectivity in there. I think the methodology is more accurate than is the methodology on the CPI because obviously, you know, no statistics are based on these numbers. This is just measuring the actual prices. You don't hedonically adjust anything or you don't have any substitutes. It's here's what we imported. What were the prices? Here's what we exported. What were the prices? And so here you're looking at almost 3% year-over-year increases, much, you know, much closer to 3% than 2%. And I think we're going higher from here. I mean, I think we're going to see soon, we're going to see year-over-year increases in both import and export prices with a three-handle. Now, when this news came out, 
the immediate reaction was, oh, let's buy the dollar, let's sell gold. Why? I mean, why is higher inflation bad for gold? After all, the main reason to buy gold is as an inflation hedge. If you think there's going to be more inflation, then you buy gold. But perversely, the way the markets work now, you sell gold if you think there's going to be more inflation. In fact, you buy the currency of the country that is experiencing more inflation, which is kind of counterintuitive because inflation, by definition, is the currency losing value. So if the currency is losing its purchasing power, why would you want to buy more of it? You would want to get rid of it right, to avoid that loss. But the thinking is that if there is more inflation, as measured by these price indexes, that the Federal Reserve is now going to have to fight the inflation, that they are going to be more likely to raise interest rates, to raise them sooner, to raise them more in the face of higher inflation. And so it is the expectation that these higher numbers will produce a tighter Fed. That is what rallies the dollar. That is what hurts gold. It's the anticipation of higher rates to fight off the inflation. But reality is the Fed will ignore the higher inflation numbers and do nothing. I mean, whatever it's going to do with rates, it's going to do it regardless of these numbers. And ultimately, if the Fed has to make a choice between fighting inflation and unemployment, because the Fed believes in this Phyllis Curve trade-off between inflation and employment, the Fed will always choose to uh, fight unemployment or to prop up the labor market and sacrifice its inflation goal. I mean, it doesn't care if inflation goes up. It's more concerned about employment or the economy or maintaining asset bubbles or propping up the U.S. government and making it so it, it, it doesn't have to default on its debts. The reality is higher inflation is not going to produce a, a, a tighter monetary policy. The Fed is going to have to ignore the higher inflation, which means the inflation is going to get even worse. It's almost like the Fed has to ignore a fire. And then because it ignores the fire, it's just going to get bigger. It's not going to try to put it out because it's afraid that putting it out is actually worse than letting it burn because of what it's going to have to do. And if traders understood this, that higher inflation just means that it's going to get even worse, then they would be dumping the dollar. They would be buying gold. And even if the Fed ultimately raises rates because inflation is so much higher, they are not going to get out in front of the inflation curve. They are going to be way behind the curve. So they'll raise interest rates a little bit nominally, but they won't raise them enough so that real interest rates can be falling. So if inflation is accelerating and the Fed is behind the curve with some too little too late rate hikes that don't really raise real rates, the real rate is the inflation rate minus the nominal interest rate. And so it's real rates that really people should be concerned about, not nominal rates. So it's possible that nominal rates could be rising while real rates are falling. And it's the real rates that are important. So it doesn't matter if nominal rates are going up. If real rates are coming down, that is not going to be supportive of the dollar. That is not going to be a negative for gold. And of course, the other irony of the whole thing is that as the Federal Reserve does raise interest rates, interest rates are a price, right? It is not in the CPI, right? Interest rates are not a component of the CPI. But interest rates are a price, right? They're the price that businesses pay to borrow money. It's like a cost, like any other cost, like their raw material costs, their labor costs, their capital costs are interest rates. And obviously, costs go into determining the supply curve. And costs have an effect 
on the final price that consumers pay, right? And costs themselves are prices, right? But they're prices that are built into other prices. And so as businesses pay more for their prices, as their prices go up, right, which are their costs, then the price they charge the consumer, which is the consumer's cost, also goes up. So as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates and now business owners have to pay higher rent or they have to pay higher interest on the loans that they use to borrow money to finance their their inventory or to finance their capital equipment or whatever they're doing, all of those costs end up getting priced in to their final product like any other cost and it affects consumer prices. So the Federal Reserve itself, by jacking up the price of money, is in effect increasing the CPI. So that in and of itself is inflationary. So the markets have got it completely wrong when it comes to how to react to inflation. Inflation is good for gold and it's bad for the dollar. And so when you see these kind of sell-offs like we got today, these are buying opportunities. This is an opportunity to buy from people who don't know what they're doing because they're just focusing on this short-term relationship that is wrong. But you have to understand how traders work because everybody believes this. This is pretty much war. And so the minute these numbers come out, I mean, these the traders are conditioned. I mean, if the inflation numbers had been lower than expected, they'd have done the opposite. They would have pushed the buy button on gold. They would have pushed the sell button on the dollar, right? It's programmed in there. Or maybe they don't even have to push it. These are just factors that are in an algorithm. And when the computer gets this information, it automatically executes a trade, right? You know, garbage in, garbage out. But if everybody is doing it, then in the short run, you know, it works. But in the long run, it's not going to work. But it does create a opportunity for investors to take advantage. Because I still think that, you know, we have a big uptrend going on in gold and a downtrend in, in the dollar. And the rest of this is just noise. A couple of interesting articles that I read over the weekend. I read this one story about how more Americans were now living alone than they were before the the recession. Not meaning that you know they're not living with their parents. I mean, obviously, we have more Americans living with their parents. I'm talking about more people being single and not in a relationship, not being married. And one of the interesting things about why so many people weren't getting married today had to do with the fact that so many men make such a small amount of money that you have all these guys out there younger men who are making less than $30,000 a year or less than $40,000 a year whatever was the cutoff and because they just made such a small amount of money they couldn't afford to get married and so the real reason that so few people were getting married was that there was so few men that can actually afford to get married which is something that I have been talking about a long time has been the collapse in the labor force participation rate for men which is at an all-time record low, particularly young men, men in their 20s and 30s, unable uh, to find jobs. And if they're not living alone, it's because they're living with their parents, but they're not living with a wife. Uh, in many cases, they're not even living with a girlfriend. But you know what, of course, this made me think about was you know back before we had all this government and all these programs, you know, back as even as late as the 1960s, which is when all this stuff started to fall apart. But young men, young men in their 20s, not only did they make enough money to get married, they made enough money to get married and support their wife. Their wife didn't have to have a job. And you didn't even have to have a college degree. 
I mean, if you just, you don't even have to go to high school. You could have dropped out of high school, had any job in America, been a 23, 24, 25-year-old guy, right? I mean, not, not, you know, not a completely unskilled job. You had to have some kind of skill, right, with your, you know, with your, learn something, right? You had to, maybe you, you got a, you dropped out of high school when you were 15 and you got some minimum wage job and, you know, you, you worked your way up, so you've been in a labor force for eight years, 10 years, you're 24, 25 years old, you're doing something, you're not totally unskilled, right? But you don't have a degree. You were able to marry somebody and support her, right? P pay all the bills on one salary, right? And without the help of credit cards, because people didn't have credit cards back then. So you can earn enough money to pay all the bills and your wife could stay at home, take care of the house, and raise the kids. So you, you, could, you could have kids. Now, maybe you didn't start having kids until, you know, you were in your upper 20s, right? So by then, you're making even more money. You've, you know, you've gotten a couple more raises. You've acquired more skills. But it wasn't a hard thing. Um, you know, any American in the 1940s, 1950s, even 1960s, I mean, if your wife worked, you would be embarrassed to even have to admit that your wife was working. You'd be like, what? why is your wife working? You, you can't support her? It would be like, you know, everybody could support their wife. I mean, it was just a you know, thing that you did. When your wife would work, maybe if you were unemployed, you lost your job while you were looking for another job, your wife might get a part-time job or get a job just to help make ends meet so it was easier on the family while you're out looking uh, for another job, which was great to have, you know, somebody, uh, you know, that was on the bench that can, you know, get onto the field in an emergency. You don't have that today, right? You got... A husband and wife both working. In fact, they they may both be working multiple jobs. You know, one one spouse loses one job, and that's it. You can't pay the rent. You don't have uh, a a spare person who can you know you know come into the game uh, to take some of the pressure off. Plus, you know, back then guys had savings. Now people live in paycheck to paycheck. So not only don't you have uh, a a second person who could enter the labor force in, in in an emergency, you've got no you've got no savings to fall back on. But my point was. Today, guys can't even afford to marry women who have jobs. I mean, that's how poor they are. That even if you find a woman who is employed, you still can't afford to marry her. And, you know, you got guys with college degrees that can't afford to marry women with college degrees who have jobs. I mean, that's how poor the average American is today. And, you know, that's too. A lot of the women don't even see the benefit of marrying a guy who can't support uh, the family, who can't bring anything, uh, any financial resources uh, to the table. In fact, in many cases now, you have the women who are earning more than the men. I mean, it, you know, so a lot of young women are like, why should I get married when all the guys I'm dating make less than me? You know, what, what are they, you know, they going to bring to the table as far as enabling me to start a family? Because a lot of times if a woman wants to get married and start a family, the guy has to be able to provide that support. Because obviously, if the woman's going to have children, she may not be able to work as much. She's going to have to, you know, step off the fast track onto the mommy track. So she needs the guy to be able to pick up the slack. And a lot more young American men can't do that. So it's a very sad statement, you know, read. And that wasn't even really the point of the article, but that was the important point for me: is the demise of the American male and the family and the whole marriage institution because of what's been going on. And it's big government. It's taxes, it's wasting all your time uh, in college, learning nothing, amassing a massive amount of debt, 
all of this stuff is undermining the American standard of living, which even brings me to another article that I was reading about a manufacturer of consumer electronics and audio company. I didn't even heard of them, just Carvin. It was this company that had been manufacturing. I guess they made amplifiers and other kind of audio equipment uh, like that. And they've been in business for 70 years. They were operating out of San Diego, and they finally shut down. Boom. You know, Trump is talking about oh, all these American manufacturers. Everything is great. Here's an American manufacturer manufacturing uh, in uh, San Diego, you know, shutting its last factory. They're out of business. And so, you know, I put up this little article on my Facebook page. And, of course, immediately people comment that, well, you know, they didn't make this wasn't great stuff or, you know, this is, you know, this is uh, a progress. You know, what do you, you know, why do you keep talking about this? Like, you know, they're like a, the uh, buggy whip manufacturers going out of business. And a lot of people just don't get this. Because this is not, you know, about buggy whips. And I put a, um, a comment on the article. And I mentioned, you know, you know uh, like the radio industry, which is an industry that America used to dominate. And I know that, you know, a lot of people don't buy radios anymore. You don't buy transistor radios or the same type of radios that they were buying in the 1920s. But companies that were making radios in the 1920s are making things today in consumer electronics. You know, there has been an evolution but I mentioned companies, and this is a list of just some of the top companies, but there are hundreds of companies. But these are some of the companies from the 1920s in the United States. RCA, Westinghouse, GE, Admiral, Philco, Zenith, Spiegel, Magnavox, Emerson, Fisher, Motorola, Sylvania, just a few. There were scores and scores of radio manufacturers. America made the best radios in the world. We, we, we basically pioneered the entire industry. I mean, we made, we made radios for Americans. We exported them all over the world. And then, of course, we pioneered the television. We started making all the television sets, too. First the radio, then the television sets. But eventually, uh, we lost the entire industry. And, you know, when the automobiles put the buggy whip manufacturers out of business, that was progress, right? America didn't start importing buggy whips from Japan or China we didn't need them anymore, right? We just we didn't we we started buying cars that were also made in America. So you had the American uh, automobile companies putting the American buggy whip companies out of business. That's progress. That's creative destruction. When we lost our consumer electronic industry, we lost the radio industry, we lost the TV industry. It wasn't some other American business that was now you know more you know invented some something new that put these companies out of business. We just stopped buying American radios and started buying Japanese radios, right? That's what happened. And now a lot of those Japanese radio companies now make a lot of other things uh, because they, they're still in the consumer electronics market. Now, at least, you know, we've got some of the computer market back. We do have some uh, computer manufacturers in the United States, so we don't have no consumer electronics at all. But in the most part, I mean, pretty much anything... Anything that has a battery, anything that plugs in, or turns on, on and off switch, we didn't make it. We used to make all that stuff, right? If, I mean, Japan made nothing. They made junk. They made ornaments that were on a Christmas tree, right? If it didn't work, you know, what was that, made in Japan? That was, that was the expression. So we lost all these industries, not because of progress. This was all taxes, regulation. This is pure destruction. None of it was creative. And people, you know, when they say, oh, you're putting this stuff on the Facebook page, all you're doing is, is pointing out bad news. Look, yeah, I know there's some good news, 
But the point I'm trying to point out the bad news that's being overlooked because the economy is in much worse shape than the conventional uh, media is is reporting. There are a lot of problems that are being swept under this rug, and I want to I want to take them out from under the rug, and I want to shine a light on them and get people to understand what's going on in the United States and why it's happening. Now, I also want to mention, and I'm not going to talk too much about it for obvious reasons, but one of the other Dr. Dooms out there, the author of the Gloom, Doom, and Boom report, Mark Faber, got himself into some very hot water based on what he wrote in his newsletter. And even you know, when given the opportunity, he didn't retract what he, what he wrote. He basically... Uh, you know, he, he repeated or clarified some of the comments which are being received or interpreted as being very racist. And as a result of what he wrote and then what he said, he has now been banned from Bloomberg, CNBC, Fox. He's had to resign from being on the board of Sprott, which is a resource company up in, uh, up in Canada. I wonder, you know, I'm going to be seeing Mark Faber uh, in a couple of weeks. He is a regular at the uh, New Orleans conference, um, I don't think he's going to be asked to uh, <laughs> to resign uh, from his appearances at the New Orleans conference. But you never know. Uh, but you can go and read what he wrote. There are plenty of articles uh, out there. But basically, what happened, and, and he really stepped in front of a you know kind of like a freight train of political correctness. He was writing in his newsletter about all of the controversy over the monuments, the Confederate monuments, you know. And, and while he was writing that, he mentioned uh, that it was a good thing that the United States uh, was colonized uh, by whites as opposed to blacks. And, and so that writing that in the newsletter, I guess, really set some stuff off. And so people asked him to clarify his comments. And I read an article in Market Watch in which he actually elaborated on what he said. And he basically said that... Uh, in his view, had the United States of America been originally colonized by Africans, right? Because blacks, in theory, I guess, right? Maybe they could have come over here from Africa and they could have colonized the United States, right? So the United States could have been colonized by Africans. Uh, he said that had that happened, that America would not have enjoyed all the progress, would not be nearly as strong a nation as had it, you know, because it was colonized by Europeans, meaning that the, the British, the Dutch, the French, uh, Europeans coming to America and colonizing and populating the country, that as a result of that, the, the country is better off today or has made more progress than would have been the case had Africans colonized America instead, right? So none of the descendants of Europeans they all would have been the descendants of African tribes. Now, I'm not really sure why he even had to go there or what difference it makes, whether America would have been better off or worse off uh, had it been colonized by Africans as opposed to Europeans. And, you know, somehow it was tangentially related to the fact that he was writing about all the hysteria over these uh, Civil War monuments. But anyway, he, he wrote about that and clarified his remarks and, and, and stood by them. And, of course, he said, well, you know, this is what I believe to be true, and if speaking the truth makes me a racist, well, I guess I'm a racist, and so he is a racist, and because he's a racist, he can't be on CNBC, he can't be on Bloomberg, he can't be on Fox. Look, I haven't been on Bloomberg in eight or nine years. 
I don't think it's because I'm I'm a racist. They just don't want me on. I'm actually surprised that they have a model. I read an article and Bloomberg said they haven't had him on in about a year and a half. So it looks like they were keeping him off the air anyway. Uh, and so now they're just not going to let him on. But he was on every once in a while. He wasn't on CNBC a lot or Fox, but you know, he's been on more than me. Uh, and so not really sure why. So I'm wondering, though, now that they can't have this bear, there's not that many of us out there, right? I mean, Mark Faber, me, Jimmy Rogers, I mean, he's barely on, right? But I wonder now that they've kicked off Mark Faber, I wonder if they'll consider having me on. Otherwise, you know, where are they going to get any bears, right? This was kind of the last one, and he was he was barely on. But, if you know, you could decide for yourself whether or not you think that, you know, these were actually racist comments, if they were just insensitive comments. Uh, but whatever, as a result of these comments, Faber is uh, is uh, is no longer uh, welcome on these stations. You know, I don't really want to get into talking about it. I'd rather talk about somebody less controversial, uh, like Harvey Weinstein. You know, I mean, I you know, I've meant to interject my comments on the whole Harvey uh, Weinstein uh, controversy. I forgot to do it last week, so I'll, I'll round out the podcast by giving you my thoughts. On this matter. And first of all, I have spoken on this podcast and even before the podcast on the Peter Schiff show about the hypocrisy of the left in Hollywood uh, when it comes to issues, particularly of gender, right? Because these guys are always talking about, oh, you know, the, the, the wage gap and, you know, men are earning more than women, which of course they're not. But I pointed out that if you're going to look at a wage gap, look in Hollywood. I mean, that's where you have your wage gap, right? I mean, obviously, you know, men were making a lot more money in general than women, except in porn. In porn, the women make more than men, right? But, you know, in non-pornographic movies, men are making more than women. And I went over all the reasons why that happened, right? I mean, men tend to star in action movies in general, uh, bigger budget movies, you know, movies, you know, where you you can pay more. I mean, they're bigger draws, in general, in some cases, you know, depending on the woman, they can make more. But it's not, I said, look, Hollywood isn't sexist. It's all about money, right? They just, they're paying what they have to pay. And they generally have to pay the male stars more than the female stars. Not always the case. But the gender gap, if you just look at what men were being paid and what women were earning in Hollywood, there was a bigger gap there than outside of Hollywood. Yet, you know, they never stopped them from accusing other people. Like, they can live in the biggest glass house and throw stones at everybody. But when you see what's going on with Harvey Weinstein, you know, and you know how big a liberal this guy was, and the close ties that he had, you know, to the Clintons, and I don't even know how Hillary Clinton, how Bill Clinton can criticize Harvey Weinstein. I mean, I mean, look at Bill, look at the stuff that he does. I mean, can you imagine Bill Clinton as a as a movie producer? Can you imagine the casting couch that this guy would have if he somehow was a movie producer? I mean, I mean, he had a casting couch in the White House to hire interns, right? So I can imagine how Bill Clinton would be if he was, um, you know, growing up running a, a studio in, in Hollywood. But there is so much hypocrisy there. But, of course, part of the, the biggest hypocrisy is that for 20, 30 years or whatever, this has been going on. I mean, I, look, I didn't even know about it. I'm not, like, part of the in crowd in Hollywood. So, But you look at all these... Uh, you know, jokes that have been being made over the over the decades and all the things that have happened. Nobody said a word. Nobody said anything. All these hypocrites in Hollywood know what this guy is doing. You know, his brother is out there claiming, "Oh, I didn't know about this. This is this is shocking." How could how could you how could believe me? If my brother 
was doing stuff like this, you don't think I would know about it? How can, how can he hide it from me? It'd be ridiculous. And if, if I know Harvey Weinstein, I, mean, I don't know him, but based on what I know about him, he would be bragging about this stuff to his brother. In fact, his contract, I'm sure everybody knows this by now, but his contract at Weinstein Productions, he's got a contract in there, written into the contract, what his fines are going to be every time they have to settle a sexual harassment lawsuit. He has to pay all of the, the settlement plus another penalty, uh, you know, up to like a million dollars an incident. Now, I mean, imagine how many times this guy was sued for sexual harassment before they had to amend the contract to make a provision for it, right? So this is there. Everybody knows about it. Nobody says anything about it until finally there's this big article that comes out in the New York Times. Now, all of a sudden, everybody speaks up. Where are all these women who are speaking up? Why didn't they speak up a year ago or two years ago or three years ago? Now you can say, oh, they were afraid. They didn't want to do it. Look, some of these are Hollywood A-list actresses. And I don't know, maybe they were harassed before they were, they were you know, so big in Hollywood. They were younger and you know, they didn't have as much in the way of connections. But now that they're who they are, I mean, somebody could have spoken out against Harvey Reinstein. Now everybody is acting like, oh, you know, it's all his fault. Look, I'm not defending him. The guy, to me, from what he's done, the guy's a real jerk. And the, the thing that really bothers me the most about it, and this is what happens every time somebody gets accused of some kind of, you know, sexual thing like uh, Congressman Anthony Weiner, right? The minute they get busted, oh, I'm apologizing, I'm sick, I have a disease, I'm a sex addict, I'm going to check into rehab. I mean, come on. I mean, Harvey Weinstein may be sick, but he doesn't have a disease, right? He's not a sexaholic or a sex addict. He's just a guy. He's a normal guy who is attracted to young, beautiful women. I mean, we all like young, beautiful women, at least all of us who are straight. The difference is we're not all going to uh, be jerks. We're not all going to basically extort women or blackmail women. I mean, when you're in a position that Weinstein is in, and believe me, I mean, there are a lot of women that come to Hollywood from all over the world, not just all over the country. So many young, aspiring actresses. I mean, there are a dime a dozen in L.A. I mean, now, if you have tremendous talent and you're, you know, stunning, right? So if you've got, if you've got everything and you don't have connections, all right, maybe you can make it purely on your talent, and, and, but if you're just normally talented and just regular, beautiful, you know, it's tough. You don't have any connections. You don't have, you know, a relative in the business who's, you know, high up in the business. It's very difficult. And so it's very easy for somebody like Harvey Weinstein to exploit that and to, you know, hey, you know, try to, you know, get, get sex out of that uh, position. You know, whether it's just letting women know that, Hey, if you, you know, indulge me, that's going to help your career. I guess it's even worse if you create the impression that if you don't indulge me, you know, you'll never work in this town again. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure you can't get a job. That that's actually even worse. You know, the stick is is probably worse than the carrot. But, you know, Harvey Weinstein did not invent the casting couch, right? That's been ever since they've had silent movies. There's been a casting couch. In fact, even before probably when they had the movieolas, even before they had the silent movies. There was a casting couch. So this is this is not a new thing in Hollywood. This has been going on, and these hypocrites say absolutely nothing about it, and now all of a sudden act like they're shocked. Oh, this is a terrible thing. Look, it has been a terrible thing, and they they've kept quiet about it. But you know, it's Hollywood itself should have done something about it. I mean, it's not even about the government. I mean, to me, I think about 
like sports and athletes that are using drugs, right? The NFL, don't, they don't allow players to use drugs, right? It's not like it's a government law that says you can't, although some of these drugs could be illegal that they might use, but some of them aren't. But they have these performance-enhancing drugs, and you're not allowed to use them. Why? Because it's not fair. You know who it's not fair to? The people who don't use the drugs. Because a lot of people know that, hey, I could take some drugs and I can perform better, but it's not good for me healthy. Long-term, it could be damaging, right? So you want to level the playing field and say, nobody uses these drugs. And if nobody uses performance-enhancing drugs, then everybody's on an equal playing field. But if somebody uses them, then other people may feel compelled to use them too, even though they don't want to, but because they have to just to compete. So the industry say, hey, we're going to ban them. This is what Hollywood should have done a long time ago with these kind of practices of, you know, trading sex for access, sex for roles. And because it's not just the producers, right, who are taking advantage of the access that they have uh, to, you know, get sex, you know, from young, beautiful women. But in many cases, it's the women who are using what they've got, right? And if I was a woman in Hollywood and I was trying to be an actress, and I didn't want to basically prostitute myself. If I wanted to make it on my talent and whatever else, and I wasn't willing to have sex with the Harvey Weinsteins, right? Not only would I be mad at Harvey Weinstein, but I would be mad at the other actresses who make themselves available to guys like that. Because a lot of times the women are upfront about the fact that, hey, they're, you know, I'm, I'm willing to deal. I mean, you know, we, we can make a trade here. Yeah, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. There are women who are willing to do this, just like there are athletes who are willing to take the drugs. They're willing to do that to themselves to get an edge. There are going to be women that are going to come to Hollywood that are going to use whatever they've got. They're going to use the fact that they know guys like pretty young girls. They know that, and they're going to flaunt what they have and, and let the guys know, hey, I am willing to do this if I can get the part, right? Or if I can get the interview, or if I get the access, right? So all that needs to be stopped, right? Because the women need to be as, as upset at the other women who are not playing fair, just like the guys are not playing fair. But it's not, again, I don't think the federal government even needs to get in. I mean, where I do think it would be illegal, a crime, I think if Harvey Weinstein is basically letting women know, either you do this or I'm going to ruin your career, to me, that's like extortion. Not really like sexual harassment. It's like blackmail. Right. So that, I think, is is criminal conduct. It's harder if it's just, you know, a positive thing that might come out of sex. But in a way, though, in a certain position of power, the inference is, even if he doesn't say it, that, hey, if I don't go along, then it's going to harm me somehow. Right. It's not just that, yes, it's a positive if I if I agree to it, but somehow if I spurn his advances, that it's going to come back and hurt my career. Now, the, I don't know if Harvey is actually doing that. I don't know if any evidence has come out that he has retaliated in any uh, way against a woman who has spurned him, right? So I, I don't know, and maybe stuff like that will come out. But, you know, the, the, the main point about, about the whole thing is this stuff is going on. It goes on in Hollywood more than most other industries. And obviously, the stakes are higher, right? I mean, think about... If you're a woman and let's say you got a job and you're, you know, you're waiting tables in a restaurant, I mean, you're not necessarily going to have sex with the manager because he's going to make you assistant manager. I mean, what, you're going to get an extra two or three dollars an hour. I mean, 
the odds that a woman is going to, you know, sleep her way to that promotion is pretty slim. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, but, you know, probably slim chances. But in Hollywood, if you're waiting tables and you're trying to get your big break, your first part in a movie, or even, you know, that, that there's a lot riding on that. There's a lot of pressure there. And there's a lot of pressure on women to try to, you know, offer what they've got. And there's opportunities for men to take advantage of what the women have and what they and what they want. But it's up to Hollywood. Hollywood should have been policing this a long time ago. In, in some cases, I think there's criminal liability here. Now, as far as sexual harassment, some of the conduct is sexual harassment. I personally, a lot of the sexual harassment laws, I don't, I don't agree with because I think a lot of things that we say is sexual harassment are not sexual harassment. And here in these cases, the, uh, the women who are you know, meeting Harvey Weinstein, they're not employed by Harvey Weinstein in most cases. In some cases, maybe they were. But in most cases, they're not. Uh, they're, they're actresses. They're potential workers. In fact, usually when you, uh, when you produce a movie, the people that work on the movie aren't your employees. They're independent contractors. A lot of times, they're actually, what happens is you hire the production company. A lot of these actors or actresses have their own companies. And those companies end up getting contracted by a movie. And so they're, in the, they're employees of a company that was contracted by a movie. So it's very different. But clearly, though, you have men in positions of power, and they're able to take advantage of that power to, to try to uh, get sexual favors from, from women. So it's, it's not exactly the same. But the basic point is Hollywood should have addressed this issue, right? Instead of criticizing Everybody else. I mean, they go to the Academy Awards. Like, apparently now they have revoked uh, Weinstein's membership into the Academy. But you ever go to the Academy Awards and all these people come up there and they, they you know, they, 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 they politically grandstand, you know, when they accept their awards. And they're, they're criticizing everybody else but themselves, right? I mean, these women issues have been such big issues. So clean up your own house, right? Get your own house in order before you start criticizing the rest of the country and all the other industries. And you don't have to wait for government. You have all these guilds, right? All the Screen Actors Guild, all the unions and different uh, uh, film organizations. They can come together, just like the NFL or the Olympics, and they can set conditions and say, you want to be a member of this, then this is the conduct that we require. And that, I mean, there's no, there's no uh, trade in sex for access. You can't give people a part if they sleep with you. You can't make... You, you, they got to take that entire aspect out of Hollywood, and I think you know everybody would benefit. Nobody was willing to do something when doing something might have, you know, resulted in a personal sacrifice. Right, doing the right thing at the point of maybe endangering their own career. No, it wasn't until there was enough people out there that they could be part of the mob or part of the crowd that they felt that they could come up and they could say something. And, you know, so they all need to accept responsibility uh, for this. And they can say, yeah, I didn't have the courage. You know, I was more concerned about my own career than in standing up and doing what's right. Right. And it's not it's not just the men like Harvey Weinstein. There's a lot of jerks out there. You know, uh, there's women out there, too, that take advantage of the fact that men right, are not always, you know, going to make the right decision, right? Men, men can easily give in to temptation if they're pushed, right? And, and let's not pretend that there aren't women out there pushing men's buttons. Not that I'm forgiving the men who allow their buttons to be pushed, but it takes two to tango, and you also have to look at the women who are pushing those buttons. <laughs>